0: Well, if you're with us several months ago, you know we did a series called Ready Row. And in Ready Row, we talked about getting healthy. And we talked about implementing some things in the life of the church that we thought were important. And Ready Row is an invitation for you to jump jump in the boat and join us on that journey. We talked about uh, eight different areas of church health. Some of you may remember that uh, about a year and a half ago, the organization I work with came in and did a survey about our church and scored our church on eight different indexes dealing with church health, and our scores were were okay. We had some areas we were struggling in at the time, um, and uh, um, our low score, by the way, was gifts-based ministry, uh, uh, encouraging and training people to use their gifts for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Well, we redid that test uh, three weeks ago. We redid that test three weeks ago. We got our results back in, uh, similar sample size, uh, our average score on a scale of 100 in, in 14 months increased by 36 points. Uh, our, low score, our low score, which was Gifts-based Ministry, uh, which was, I believe, a, a 35 uh, at the time of the sur- first survey, 35 out of 100, is now our high score. And we saw an increase of 58 points in terms of gift space ministry. So, you wanna see that? So, uh, and I wanna acknowledge some folks this morning. If you are a member of our transition team, you're on some of the sub-teams for our transition team, if you're on our board of elders, if you're on our property and finance team, would you stand right now? Would you thank these people? Um, I don't think you have, it is, it is hard for me to describe Thank you, guys. It's hard for me to, to describe uh, the level of work that has gone on behind the scenes uh, in the last 14 months. Uh, that You don't even know what's going on. Uh, but we stand here today with a congregation. As I'm leaving, as I look at this group of people this morning, I, I think we are primed to do a lot of damage. <laughs> in Lewis County, and South Thurston County. I think we can shake the enemy, man. And I am so excited to hear where this place is going. You know, this morning's my parting shot to you. And next week, I want to be the real focus. And that's as your new pastor steps in. And I want you to hear his heart and vision. But I'm very excited for where this place is going. We're calling this, not ready, row. We're calling that let's row, guys. Time to row. Time to row. We're going to talk about this. The scripture we're going to look at today is is a lot of times, it's used as a benediction. uh, A big word we often use in church, most of us heard somebody say, rise for the benediction if we went to a more formal church growing up. Benediction is actually a blessing or a word of encouragement that happens at the end of a a religious service, a benediction. Uh, Years ago when I was growing up, I grew up at at the time, it was the largest church in, in Washington. Uh, Overlake Christian Church. It was about 6,000 members, and our worship leader was gone that Sunday, and a buddy of mine who was an intern was leading worship, and he uh, was really, really nervous, and I was making things worse for him, and... uh, And he comes out on the platform at the beginning of the service and says, let's rise for the opening benediction. And I was on the platform. The benediction happens at the end. So the opening benediction, I was, and I started giggling on the platform and it was not helpful. Uh, So we're going to do an opening benediction today. Uh, We're going to have a benediction right at the start this morning. Today, I want to leave you with this blessing uh, because you have blessed me. You have blessed me, uh, and uh, I want to I leave you with a blessing. And I have asked, honey, would you bring me that microphone? I forgot to bring it up here. I've asked Claire to come this morning and bring our passage of Scripture to us. And the reason I asked Claire uh, was because she was our most faithful for all of us. And I don't think you uh, Claire is a representative of our teenagers, and I don't think you know that some of the best people in our congregation at using their gifts for the work of the kingdom, are our young people. Amen. And Claire is representative of that, and it's representative of the work that Pastor Devin has done, and, and now Aaron is doing. So why don't we stand out of respect for God's word? And Claire is going to bring for us Colossians three, twelve through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17.
1: Since God chose you to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with the tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord gave, forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. In whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks through him to God the Father.
0: What do you think, Claire, and by connection, all of our teams for us this morning? Thank you, Claire. All right, so let's dive in this morning with some words of encouragement. First off, this be reflections. As you move forward over the next few months, be reflections of Jesus in your interactions with believers, but also with those that aren't yet believers. Be reflections of Jesus. Look at verse 12. As God's chosen people. You're chosen. You are here a chosen people. Holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You're a chosen people. It feels good to be chosen, doesn't it? You know, as the kid that was oftentimes the last one chosen on the playground, uh, Getting chosen is a good feeling. It's an affirming feeling. But let me ask you this. How do we honor the one who chose us? How do we bless the one who has chosen us? I would argue this. The way we honor or bless the one who has chosen us is by being reflections of the one that has chosen us. The Apostle Paul, writing to this church, uses an image. He says, as as holy and dearly loved people, clothe yourselves. Cover yourselves. Our covering is oftentimes what people see first. And he says, Clothe yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When people see you, that is what they're supposed to see. We wear costumes to take on false identities. You know, there are times of year we go to costume parties, kind of fun. You're something else. Well, we're called to have a covering that looks like Jesus. Paul here, by the way, is echoing words in Romans. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. When people see CCCOG, the people that go there, this church family, they should see a people who look like Jesus to the church at Colossae, he tells them uh, what this church is supposed to look like. And he uses again these five words compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient. Here's my concern. When non believers in America hear about the church of Jesus Christ, is their first thought about a group of people who are compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient? Is that what people think of the church today? It's concerning. And I know that being reactionary sometimes feels good, but remember, and I thought Devin did a really good way of drawing it out the way to point people to the kingdom is not through uh, a snarky comment on social media, it's through the cross. And it's through modeling what happened on the cross. That goes, by the way, so much against so much of our Western culture where, where we are constantly being taught to carve out what is ours, to take what is ours, to preserve, to, you, know, uh, uh, you know, guard your stuff. Problem is, we don't get to take any of that stuff to heaven. And yet God tells us that the way is the cross. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. When people think at this outpost, outpost at the corner of Borst and Eshem, what are they thinking about? What are they thinking about? Now next, we're encouraged in this passage in Colossians to model reconciliation, forgiveness, and love. Folks, one of the primary functions and roles of the church of, the Je- of Jesus Christ is to model reconciliation, forgiveness, and love. None of us are in this room today without reconciliation, forgiveness, and love. The way we approach the cross is because the one who is on the cross has approached us with forgiveness and reconciliation. And our behavior, in the plainest terms, were what, was what put him on the cross. If he can forgive that, folks, there's a lot of things I should be able to forgive. Reconciliation is hard and by the way, the most important reconciliation is the hard reconciliation, right? The most important forgiveness is the hard forgiveness. It's a challenge. I get it. We've all been there. We're a community. Look at, look at verse 13. I'll just read it. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, one of the ways that the Lord forgave me is he initiated the forgiveness, Right? And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. By the way, a body warring against itself is a terrible thing. You know, you see folks, uh, some of us in here deal with the autoimmune diseases, the body warring against itself. A body warring against itself is going to have a problem, and it's no different for a church body. But we've got to be on the same page. This kind of community bound together is made possible by love. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. I've loved you sacrificially, so you must love one another. Then verse 35, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So the way this works is the world looks out and they look into this place and go, you know that place, I know a few people go there. Uh, Some of them are a little nutty. Um, Some of them are powerful people in our community. Some of them are quiet. Some of them are loud. You know, some of us have, you know, jaded backgrounds. But boy, that group of people there across the street from the high school, they bear with one another and they love one another and they seem genuinely concerned with nudging one another forward into a better place. Jesus' love led him to forgive us. Forgiveness is the primary way, the first step in loving us. And it's in this way that we love others. This is a great story. I love British people. They tend to be... Well, there's a story from history. There's New Year's Eve at at a social club in London called the Garrick Club. And a British dramatist, Frederick Lonsdale, was asked by Seymour Hicks to reconcile with one of the other members of the club. Uh, these two people had quarreled in the past and they never restored the friendship. They sat at opposite sides of the room and Hicks said to Lonsdale, you must go over. It is very unkind to be unfriendly at such a time. Go over now and wish him a happy, uh, a happy new year. And so Lonsdale walked over and, and stood in front of the man and, and just looked him in the eyes and said, I wish you a happy new year. But only one. our 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 reconciliation with others can't be half-hearted it has to be this wholesale selling out by the way they run the risk of getting hurt there right but that's the cross and so we do it the world is broken, the world is angry. Hostility seems to be everywhere. You cannot, you know, many of us get lassoed into doom scrolling on our social media pages and our heart becomes heavy and we see all the brokenness in the world. We see people fighting, we see people, we see people angry with one another. We see violence and people lashing out. And then God looks at his church and says, you need to go into the world church. And you need to show them how it's done. So, if we're just one other place, one more place where we're yelling and screaming, particularly at our enemies, by the way, Christ never modeled that. Christ was hard on enemies, but ironically, the enemies that Jesus Christ was hardest on were the uber religious fundamentalists of the days, the rule enforcers. We need to be a people of love. By doing this, it will allow us to be, and it will encourage, uh, allow us to encourage one another to be in fellowship, a deeper fellowship with Jesus Christ. We all have a responsibility here to the other. Look at the person to your left. Look at them right now. Look at the person to your right. I've got some bad news for you. You are responsible for them. Now, obviously, you're not responsible for their behavior. Um, You can't control what they do. But you and your role as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ have a responsibility to do what you can in your power to push them closer to the cross. That's discipleship. To nudge them closer to Jesus. Verse 15, and be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you as uh, richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Back in John's version of the Christmas story, we read this description of Jesus. This is in the first few verses of the Gospel of John. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of Christ, Christ himself, the the Word of God is Christ Jesus. Christ is the Word, right? Right? The word is, Christ is the word made flesh dwelling among us. And he wants to take a place in our hearts. He wants to dwell in us. The word wants to dwell in us, collectively and individually. John Wesley, the the father of Methodism, emphasized the word dwell and, and contrasted it to much of what was going on when he was alive in the 17 and 1800s and, and what we do today and sometimes we all naturally default to. He said this, dwell is not to make a short stay or an occasional visit, but it is to st- take, up, uh, take up its stated residence. You need to be a house of the word. Your, your temple needs to be a house of the word of Jesus Christ. The world, word needs to dwell in you. If you're not in the Word, church, here's one little admonition I'll give you on my way out the door. Until you are in the Word, your anxiety will be high, your worry will be high. You may see your anger elevate. The Word of God draws us closer to Jesus because the Word of God is Jesus. And so we allow the Word to dwell in us. I can tell you all too personally that in my life I have sometimes during periods only allowed the word occasional visits into my heart. Then wandered off into some distraction only to wonder why my joy, my clarity and my victory had evaporated. The natural thing is to get busy, church. We see things we need to solve and so we just, a lot of us are doers so we sort of run towards activity but let me tell you this, if you are not carving out time to be with Jesus on a daily basis, your activity will not amount to much. Jesus needs to be at the center. Now, there's a couple ways to encourage fellowship with Jesus that are mentioned here. One is to teach. By the way, this can, in the survey, many of our members of this congregation actually had the gift of teaching, okay? And so that's a responsibility that, that folks with that gift have, to teach. To instruct. That can show up in different ways. Uh, teaching Sunday school, leading a, a small group, uh, all sorts of ways. But the Greek word used here seems to extend the meeting uh, beyond simple the formal gift, but beyond simply the formal gift of teaching. We are to be engaged in deep conversations with one another. Enough of the surface. Let's discuss real things. The conversation of of the Word of God is supposed to sort of seep into all of our conversations because it it has application to all of our conversations. Wesley called himself a person of the book. Well, the person, the book was Jesus, and we need to let him dwell in us. There's other words used here, and that's admonish. Admonishing is a hard word. Admonishing is tough to do. So it's why love, forgiveness, reconciliation are so important because we do have a responsibility to admonish. Now, by the way, if we're admonishing all the time, we've probably got a problem. But if we see areas, with our, especially with our close friends that are areas of concerns, maybe blind spots, we have a responsibility to lovingly speak into one another's life. That's one of the functions of the church of Jesus Christ. Admonishment can be warning that you're heading towards a dangerous thing, but admonishment actually has a positive side too. Admonishment can be an encouragement to do something you should be doing that is positive. And so we need to be involved in both of those things. I get it. Tough conversations are are hard. But my closest friends, I can't say, you know, I'm, you know, sometimes my mouth can run. And it's my closest friends who over the years have called me and go, Mike, I was in that meeting. I heard what you said. I even might have agreed what you said, but the way you said it was so horrible. Uh. And I've had to go back and apologize. But the people in my life who lovingly speak truth into my life are my best friends. When my son, our oldest, my my daughter and her husband are here today, thank you. They surprised me and showed up. Thanks for being here. Um, when I was when our oldest John uh, was young, uh, I think I've got a picture of John here. That's John when he was little, uh, and John is now 27. But we lived up in Lacey, and we had a gas stove top. And I caught him playing with the stove as a little guy. I said he can't play with the stove. And then I caught him again playing with the stove. So this time I got a lot more aggressive. Some of you are gonna be appalled, but I slapped his little hand. And here's why I slapped his little hand. Because a slap on the hand was a lot better than a third degree burn on the hand. It was tough for me to do. I did not delight in doing that. Making my little boy scared was not what I wanted to do. But what I wanted to do is communicate to him that I loved him and I wanted the best for him. And, you know, one of the things I've enjoyed about being a parent growing up is my kids are wise. And I've been admonished by them a couple times over the years. And they do it really well. I think they do it better than I do. And it's the kind of relationship I want to have with the closest people in my life. This week when I was doing devotions, I came across a verse I really have never focused much on before. It's found in Psalms 141. It says this in verse five. If a good person punished me, that'd be kind. If he corrected me, that would be like perfumed oil on my head. I shouldn't refuse it. One of the rules we can place it. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I, this, this should not be the routine of the church that we're constantly admonishing and correcting one another. This should be used very judiciously. But a wise community of people loves one another and wants the best for one another. And when we see people straying into areas that can be of concern, we lovingly let them know. We don't, you know, drag them in front of a group of people and hit them with sticks and scream at them and yell at them, we pull them aside and we say, I've observed this and I thought you might wanna be aware of it. But it's something that could be helpful very much in the church. By the way, let me, let me say this. Uh, This actually speaks to the importance of our new Refresh small groups, I think. Because these things, one of the things that allows me to take my medicine from people is when I have a relationship with them, right? And so I'd encourage you, whether it's a fresh group or some other model, to be in a community of, a smaller community of believers. We come to church as this larger group to celebrate on Sunday mornings, but I think we need something additional, and that's being surrounded by a community of people who love us enough to tell us what we need to hear. By the way, you'll know they're the right group of people because they're also the group of people that praise you when you've done good things and, and applaud you when you've had victories. We just need to be this transparent place of love and care for one another. Next, and we're pretty good at this, but there's always room for improvement. We need to worship in all ways. O. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. We just discussed that Jesus is to be taking up residence in us, dwelling, the Word dwelling in us. But Jesus, His words, His promisement, promises, his encouragement if they dwell in us, is also supposed to flow from us. If the word of Christ dwells in us but goes nowhere beyond us, we're missing something. Worship is us taking the word that dwells in us and finding every possible way to let it be communicated from us out into the world. We take what's in here and we let people see it through songs, hymns, spiritual songs. C.S. Lewis, who was a super smart guy one time said this, to praise God fully we must suppose ourselves to be in perfect love with God, drowned in, dissolved by that delight which far from remaining pent up within ourselves has incommunicable bliss, flows out from us incessantly again in effortless and perfect expression. Our joy is no more separate from the praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sends. If the light is in you, let the light shine. If the word is in you, let people hear the word. If it stays inside of us, we're missing out. Worship is the extension of the word of God, Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And we can't keep it inside. It's that big. We worship God in song. It's perhaps my favorite way to worship. But if our worship ends with the singing of a song, if our worship stops when the song concludes, we're missing out on something. Again, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And this is my next charge, engage in ministry and service using your gifts. Engage in ministry and service using your gifts. Look at verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There are ways to serve God. By the way, God created everyone here a little bit differently. And by the way, that diversity is not an accident. There's a reason we don't all look alike. Because this, and you wait for it, God didn't want us all to look alike. And if, you know, and if he did, it wouldn't be looking like me, right? It'd be much something better. But... uh, It's interesting, a couple times in Scripture, there's sort of this this two words are used or two models are used. One is, and we see it in this verse, we're to to be Christ's ambassador in our words, but we're also to be Christ's ambassadors in our deeds. This church, Church of God, C3, CCCOG, as you move forward, model God, teach God, show God in the ways you speak, but also in the deeds you do, in the way you act. In another book in the Bible, a book where we're challenged to be weird, to be strangers and aliens in the world, to look different, 1 Peter, in chapter 4, verse 11, Peter says this, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. So speaking, word. And then he says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, deed. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Some of you in here are very good with your words. Use your words to bless people. Use your words to show them Jesus. Some of you excel in hands-on ministry, deeds, service. Engage those gifts to minister through this church and the community. If you've not already, hop on our website and take a gifts assessment. Once you've taken that gifts assessment, go over to our ministry page and there's lots of places you can plug in and then do it. Once I heard a a famous comedian talking about his mom and every year a mom was given gifts, usually appliances by by the comedian and his siblings because she liked to cook in the kitchen and every year they'd come home and the appliances would be sitting on top of the refrigerator. She didn't want to use them. She didn't want to explore different ways. So she just did it the old way. Well, God is giving us gifts, and we can't leave them sitting on top of the refrigerator. We got to use them. Some of you have a gift of speaking, some teaching, some serving. Some have a gift of prophecy, some have a gift uh, of, of ministry, some of you have a gift of encouragement. Use your gifts to edify, to bless the kingdom of God. Too often we leave them in the box. I was talking to uh, the person at the Church of God that I re- report to uh, back in, in, in Anderson, Indiana, and he was telling me, so tell me what the experience is like. And I asked him, I like, go, have, have you ever seen Chopped? Anybody ever seen the, the show Chopped on the Food Network? Anybody watch Chopped on the Food Network? Some of you? Well, on Chopped on the Food Network, they have three professional chefs in, and they have to c- prepare three courses, an appetizer, a main course, and a dessert. But before every course, they, they'll bring out like four or five ingredients that don't seem to fit together. They'll, like, break out a flank steak and gummy bears. I'm not kidding. It's, it's sometimes, sometimes it's crazy, you know, uh, you know. And then they'll bring out, you know, dill weed and uh, apple juice, and you have to make something out of that. And um, you're looking at it and you go, well, this isn't going to work. Gummy bears don't go with flank steak but they'll melt stuff down and reduce stuff and make a sauce and a glaze. It's crazy. And so I told the guy at the Church of God, I said, being an interim pastor at Centralia has like been, been being a chef on Chopped. Okay, follow me. <laughs> wait, wait for it, okay? Just give me a second. So I step in here and I start looking around. And I go, oh, there's a lot of ingredients in here. And you're the ingredients. Some of the ingredients don't look like they go with the other ingredients. But when you start to listen to God and you start to watch, you start to see him move people together and build teams and those teams communicating with each other People stepping up and using your gifts. And I realized something, and it changed me. It's one of the things that's changed me since I've been here, and that is this. I believe that every talent, every skill, every gift that CCCOG needs to be effective in this community exists in this building. Yeah. The, problem is not the, the problem is not the ingredients. And by the way, we need to be praying for Pastor Devin because he's now in charge of putting the ingredients together with his team and kind of working through that with our board of elders. But the ingredients exist here. They may not look like they go together, but you know what? In the hands of God, you're not here by accident. And this church is not going to rise or fall because of the ingredients. It's going to rise or fall because the ingredients don't get used. Right? And so let's, let's consider that. We each, we each need to live into the potential and future that God has planned for us. Next week, you're going to install a new pastor. I'm going to say something right now. You're going to install a new pastor next week. I'm, I'm very high on this. I see big things in store for you. Amen. But your new pastor will not be able to reach Lewis County, South Thurston County for Christ. without you there is no one person that is called to do that work in fact I'm not even totally sure it's it's in his job description I would say this is his job description it's found in Ephesians 4 a passage we've gone over multiple times in the last 14 months it says this for Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Amen. Here's the thing. This mission is not Devon's alone. Oof. It's not the staff's alone. Amen. It's not the board of elders. It is our task. Amen. Are we ready? Yes. Woo! Yes, we are. are we ready? Yes. You all know somebody that needs to be here. Bring them here. If they're scared to step into a church, invite them into your small group. A lot of people come to the church the first time through a small group. It's much more uh, approachable to them. (laughs) Show love for your neighbors. Go to their kids' games. Find ways to love. If necessary, use words. Reach this kingdom for Jesus.